Good morning. It is a good morning. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm the lead pastor at our Tomball campus. And uh, Icky, Johnny, and myself have rotated today uh, to, to our different campuses. And so I have the unique privilege and honor to be with you here this morning. And, uh, and if you were an Aggie fan, uh, you had a good weekend. I knew there'd be some Aggies in the room. If you are a Longhorn fan, as uh, I went to UT... Mm. I'm sorry, gentlemen. Uh, sorry, sorry, folks, we did not do that well. I hope your team did well this weekend. Um, hey, we're going to be continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. So if you have a Bible, jump to Matthew chapter 6. I will read the first four verses. Pray for us uh, one more time, and then we will jump in. Matthew chapter 4, sorry, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret." And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And pray for us. Lord, thank you for this moment to open up your word. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, you would open up our hearts, that we might be people that live generously, but more than just live generously, we would be people that align our lives to serve and honor you. That we would be men and women that live before an audience of one and every other audience that we may be in front of would fade in front of your glory. And Lord, that is something that only you can do by the power of your spirit to help us live fully for you and nothing else. So Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds so that we could be your people. In your name we pray, amen. Well, many years ago, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, there was a popular book genre called self-help. And so back then you went to bookstores. And so if you went to like a Barnes and Nobles, you would see an entire section of self-help books and that you would go to those locations to read those books so that you could be a better person. Uh, but that's changed in today's modern culture. No longer do we go to self-help books. There's been a shift from self-help to self-promotion. And our books have shifted in focus. In fact, I have several books uh, that I've brought the covers for you to watch or see up here. And let me just, uh, as a precursor to these books, I have not read any of these books. Um, I, there may be some great stuff in these books. But what I want you to focus on is the title of these books. What are these books focused on? The first one is this, The Big Book of Self-Promotion. I think that's so great. Uh, the next one, A Self-Promotion for Introverts. Okay, even if you don't like people, you can promote yourself. Um, power Your Career, The Art of Tactful Self-Promotion. Brag, The Art of Tooting Your Own Horn Without Blowing It. Okay, we, we, wanna, we wanna promote ourselves, we wanna promote too much, right? The Photographer's Guide to Marketing and Self-Promotion. Oh, this is like just a more freeing, you know. Oh, it's a guide to self-promotion. Um, the next one, uh, promote yourself, the new rules for building an outstanding career. 
And then this one, this is great. Uh, shameless self-promotion. Uh, we want you to promote who you are shamelessly. And I didn't put it up. This is another book that I did. It said, uh, From Invisible to Invincible. And it was this woman like kicking like really high on it. I was like, <laughs> that's great. Uh, from Invisible to Invincible. And, and, and there's some people that, that are even more shameless in what they're saying. Uh, there's a book by Ryan Holiday, and it's called this, uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying to You. And in this book, he walks through the process of how you can gain followers, get your uh, book more uh, in the public sphere, gain more people looking at you. In fact, he says, what you can do to drive book sales is to even fake punching someone in the face and they'll come out to read your book. And he gives you all the tactics for how to promote yourself and get your, uh, your publicity stream a little bit higher. And, and the reason I start there is because Christians, we're not immune to this either, Right? In the Christian sphere, we have this of building your platform, expanding your reach, building your personal brand. And so our culture right now is very fueling this desire and design for self-promotion. The way we use our social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, uh, whatever it is that we're using, it's not about promoting something else. It's about turning that spotlight right here and making sure that I'm promoted high among everyone else. And the reason for that is because there's something true about the human heart. We want to be noticed and not forgotten. Like, we we want a level of approval. We want people to look at us and say, okay, there's value to that person. There's value to their contribution. But it gets tainted when we start living for every other audience as opposed to the one audience that matters most. In the book, The Call by Oz Guinness, he, he writes this. Only madmen, geniuses, or supreme egotists do things purely for themselves. It is easy to book a crowd, not too hard to march to a different drummer, but it is truly difficult, perhaps impossible, to march only to your own drumbeat. Most of us, whether we are aware of it or not, do things with an eye to the approval of some audience. And the reason I start there is because that's what Jesus is starting with in this section. We're transitioning to chapter six of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus has gone um, from really focusing on the law to this section of saying, here's how I want you to practice your acts of righteousness. When you are standing before others, when you are living your faith in the public sphere, how, how is it that you can live that way well in the public sphere? How can you live your faith out well in the public sphere? And if you tune, out to every, uh, tune off to everything I'm going to say, here's your one tagline that will summarize the entire section. It's this. A life of self-promotion leaves you with applause that fades, but a life spotlighting God brings eternal significance. A life of self-promotion leaves you with applause that fades, but a life spotlighting God allows you to live a life of eternal significance. And the first thing Jesus points to in this is he points to us to a warning. He says in verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. He begins this with a warning. He says basically this, beware of the stage. Beware of this, of this tendency within us to self-promote. He says, beware of that stage. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others. Now, here's, here's the challenge with that statement. Is that Jesus just said earlier, 
to do righteous things in front of others. In fact, if you jump over to Matthew 5, 16, he says this, let your light so shine before people that they see your good deeds and glorify God when he comes. Okay, so there's there's a piece of where he's saying, okay, let people see your good works and allow them to see your love for God. In fact, Peter would say something similarly in uh, 1 Peter. He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, that they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so what Jesus is not saying is this, that your faith is private. He's not saying that your faith should never be seen by anyone else. He's not saying that you should not have faith that is exhibited in your actions in your life. But what he is saying is this, what's your motivation? As you are living out your faith in the public sphere, what's your heart motivation in that moment? He's saying beware of the audience you're living in front of. And there's two problems with chasing the stage from this section. The first is this, that you are living a life to be seen. It says the challenge, the problem that he is addressing is this in verse one. Beware practicing your righteousness before other people. And here's the phrase you can underline if you're taking notes. In order to be seen by them. And that's the issue. He says, you're practicing these acts of righteousness in order to be seen. That, that word, in order to be seen, is an interesting word in Greek. It's, it's the word um, theathani, which means, it's the word we get for theatrical performance. It means don't live like you're on stage. And the, the, the word could refer to, literally, um, an object which is observed and a, or a spectacle, He says some people are living their life just to be a spectacle, to be seen by others. And here's here's what's interesting about Jesus. The reason he's saying that isn't because it's bad for God. He's saying it primarily because it's bad for you. See, I think some of us were like, like, oh, we should live a life spotlighting God. And and, and what that means is we're like shining shining a flashlight on the moon, hoping to brighten it up. And if the moon was to talk to us, it would say, look, we don't, I don't need any help. The sun's got me covered, right? Our spotlight to God doesn't make God brighter. He's fine. But the problem is with us. When we spotlight the wrong thing, it crushes us. Arthur C. Brooks, um, he writes for the New York Times, and he wrote of a study in 2009 of research from the University of Rochester that studied uh, peoples that were recently graduated from college and their goals after graduation. And they divide into basically two groups. There are people with intrinsic motivations or extrinsic motivations. The intrinsic motivations were, fo- were people that were uh, more focused on relationships or, or, or that sort of thing. The extrinsic, extrinsic folks were wanting to have a spotlight, spotlighted on them. Their goals were, um, were to pursue, uh, um, pursue fame, popularity, to be known. They were more extrinsic goals. And he said this, The ones that pursued extrinsic goals experienced more negative emotions, such as shame and fear. They even suffered more physical maladies. And here's what he says. So Arthur Brooks says, this is one of the cruelest ironies of life. I work in Washington, right in the middle of intense public battles. Bar none, the unhappiest people I have ever met are those most dedicated to their own self-aggrandizement. 
the pundits, the TV loudmouths, the media know-it-alls, they build themselves up and promote their image but feel awful most of the time. That's the paradox of fame. Just like drugs and alcohol, once you become addicted, you can't live without it. It's fascinating. The reason people that chase the stage never get what they want is because it was never designed to give you that. Your life is meant to orbit around something, but not yourself. He says you will ultimately become empty. And the second problem is this, that your life becomes a performance. Verse two says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before, the hip, before, um, before you as the hypocrites do in their synagogues. And what Jesus is pointing out is a cultural moment. Oftentimes, uh, at the Jewish temple, they would blow a trumpet to symbol everyone to come to offer their gifts uh, to the church and, or to the synagogue. And so they would sound a trumpet to do that. So they did it at the temple, but they also did it at local communities. So there was local synagogues in each city that they would go to. And so to get people to come and, and, and give their offering, they would sound the trumpet and then people would move forward. And, and here's what's fascinating. Jesus says, yeah, you're sounding the trumpet to give. But that's the only time you're giving. And you're doing it, and he says, like a hypocrite. The word hypocrite in Greek is referring to a Greek actor. And Greek actors, they wore masks. And so they'd have one mask to describe one character, uh, one mask to describe another emotion. And he says, you're hypocrites, meaning you're two-faced. You're coming in with masks, and what you're doing is when they're sounding the trumpet and people are coming to, to give their gifts, you're waiting to see if people are watching. And then when you see the right people watching, you're walking forward and you're like, okay, here's my gift. You ready for this? And then they would walk off. Like you're waiting because your life is about a performance. There is not a genuine heart love for God or for his people. You're looking just to be seen. I did college ministry for, for years in College Station. And it was great. And there was one college ministry there that was particularly amazing. I just love the people that were there and a part of that. But what was fascinating is people would go to this, this particular college ministry um, is that it was less to do with worshiping God and learning from God and more to do with being seen in the moment. And so they would show up and it wasn't, they, it, was, it was like date night. Like you bring your date, like, hey, hey, man, yeah, yeah, we're, we're just here, just worshiping the Lord together. You know, like they, they had this date night moment and then they would stand there and they would, they would worship. But, but even as you're worshiping, it's like, how am I looking in this moment? Like, am I, am I half hand? Am I all hand? Am I one hand? Or am I going to be open? Like, like, is this weird moment of like, what am I going to do? You know, and just like, who's watching me? How am I looking? And then it all became this show to see, am I, do I look good in this moment? Am I doing the right things that God would honor in this moment? Everything is about this stage performance, chasing, looking right in the sight of others. And when your life is a show, every action is a performance. And Jesus says, don't be chasing the stage. My people, my people, they don't live their life as a show. So it's a church it's a work. As you go to your office, it can be, you can have be tempted to not do the right thing because it's the right thing, but do the right thing so that you look right. And every moment can be about chasing some other audience, chasing some other stage. He says, first of all, beware of the stage. And secondly, the applause will fade. Verse one, 
It says, for when you, for then, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 2. Then when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before your, you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Then, truly I say to you, they have received the reward in full. He says, if you live your life chasing the applause of others, eventually that applause is going to fade. And that applause at first will be exhilarating, but then it will feel mocking. Applause would feel mocking. Um, so, uh, just safe place. Um, who, who has been to junior high? Like, you went through junior high. Safe place. You can raise your hand. It's a, it's a, okay, you, you did it, yeah. And you made it. Congratulations. I mean, that's... Not many people want to go relive that experience. And the reason is because applause was never exhilarating. It was usually mocking. And here's what, here's what happened. You'd be at the lunchroom, right? You'd be in the lunchroom, and then someone would have their tray of food, and then they would trip and fall, or someone would trip them. And they would dump their tray on the ground, the food would fly, and then what would every student in the junior high cafeteria do? It's like slow, mocking clap at them. And, and so like the, the more confident kids would get up and they would bow and then move on and ha ha ha. But then like some uh, less confident people, they would just blush red and they would just run to the nurse, nurse's office and be like, I'm not leaving again. You know, I like call my mom. And, and, and it became a mocking that became uh, just completely undesirable. And, and what Jesus is saying is this, that applause that you get in those moments when you look good on that stage that's the only reward you're getting. And there'll become a moment when that applause that was exhilarating will sound like mocking. Because that's all you get. And applause is never sustaining. He says, there'll come a moment when they stop clapping. The trumpet will blow and you'll walk up saying, hey, look at my... And no one will be looking at you. If we live a life of self-promotion orbiting around ourselves. Eventually, they stop clapping. And at that moment, it becomes terrifying. See, Jesus is trying to save us. Save us from chasing things that will never ultimately satisfy the human soul. There's a book by Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods. And in it, he goes through and talks about all different types of things that we chase in life for, for success or significance or, or whatever. And in one of those chapters, he quotes um, Madonna. And she says this, I have an iron will. And all my will has been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. See, when Jesus is pointing out the failures of these people that are going in these moments and living for this applause, it's not to shame them, it's to save them. And to us right now, for many of us that are chasing the fame, the adulation of whatever audience we're chasing, it's not to shame you, it's to save you. Because those audiences will never have a clap loud enough or a praise long enough to meet the deep desires of your heart and soul.
Every applause this side of heaven will ultimately leave you empty. And that's why Jesus turns us to focus not on the audience out here, but the audience up there. And to live our lives before an audience of one. Here's what he says in verse three. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. What he's not saying is this, if you're married, um, what he's not saying is don't tell your spouse the money you're giving away. That's not what he's saying, right? Like, you won't know that I just gave that money. Can we eat this week? Not a, no, I just gave so much money away. We can't eat anymore. Um, he's not saying uh, be, don't keep it hidden from people that you know and love. What he's saying is don't make it a show. Don't make it be about you. We give because God's a giver. We give because we love God and we want to share our resources with the God who so loves us. And it's not the size of the contribution, it's the condition of the heart that God cares about most. It's not the amount of money that we give, it's the generosity that comes from a heart that's changed to love God and love others. And that is what Jesus spotlights. See, there's only a few times in scripture where, where Jesus stops and stares in a moment. There's only a few moments in scripture where he says, that, right there, that was great faith. One of them was in a moment of Mark chapter 12. And in that moment, he, it's an interesting moment. It says that uh, he sat down opposite of the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. How funny is that? Like Jesus is in this moment in, at, the, at these synagogues and he, he sat down and watched all these different people come in to start giving their money into the offering plate. I think that's so awkward. Imagine if Jesus was sitting here at the back of the room and like you had to drop in your offering just sitting there going like, okay, yeah, uh-huh. And, and just sitting there watching. So he's sitting there just watching people drop their money into the offering plate. And then it says many rich people put in large sums. And so there's people walking up with a fat load and they're just dropping that load into the offering plate. Ding, 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 ding. And kind of moving on. And there's some people dropping in a lot of money. And then a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes about a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had to live on. This little woman with two coins that amounted to not even a penny in American currency, she goes and drops those in and Jesus goes, hold on, boys, come here. I mean, can you imagine the guys are kind of going around they're like, check this out, check this out. And they're like walking over like, what, what do you got for us, Jesus? And they come over to him like, did you see that? And they're just like, what? And he goes, did you see what she dropped in? And they're like, yeah, the, like the penny, the penny. He's like, I have not seen such great faith. Did you see that? It is not the size of the contribution, it's the condition of her heart. And she says, out of her poverty, she gave everything that she had. Her love for the Lord caused her to give generously. And that's what Jesus is after. Hearts that are fully his. And this woman did not do it for the spotlight. She did it because she loved the Lord deeply. She gave because she loved God deeply. Do you? 
And he says, this is going to be rewarded. See, we give because God has so given to us. And secondly, God's reward is eternal significance. Verse four, he says, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I want you to think about a moment um, that you're dead. So sorry you died. And you're in heaven. And you're standing there in heaven and you get to see all the people, all the, all the people that have died and put their faith in Jesus Christ all in that moment. And, and you're there and it's, it's, it's your sad for a moment, but you're in glory. And so you're like, okay, this is pretty sweet. And so you're in heaven with God. And, and have you ever played that game of like, hey, what dead person would you want to spend some time with, right? And so you got that moment and you can go like, okay, who would I want to talk to? And so maybe there's uh, some current saints. So you're like, man, I'd love to talk with Louis Giglio or like Beth Moore or whatever. And you're like, I hope I see them in heaven or, or, uh, no, it's like Martin Luther King Jr. Like, I want to go see him. Or maybe it's like Saints of Old. And you're just like, man, that was David Livingston or George uh, McDonald or, or, or my personal favorite, George Whitfield. Like, oh, maybe it's one of these characters. Like, like who would you want to see in that, in that moment? And in that moment, I wonder who Jesus would spotlight. I wonder if he would take those famous people, those names that we all know and love, or if he would turn the spotlight on some people that you've never even heard of and people that you, would, you will never hear of. I haven't been here at Bayou City long enough to know some of the secret saints. But I know there are people that have given their life to Jesus Christ and are giving out of everything that they have because their hearts are fully his, but you would never know them by name. One of those women from my church back in College Station was a woman named Miss Jane. Miss Jane is an older woman and she has been teaching first grade Sunday school for over a decade, like two decades. And Miss Jane, you would never pick her out of a, line, of a lineup as someone significant. You never would. But Miss Jane writes notes every week to every first grader that's in her class. I'm praying for you. Here's a verse for you. I'm thinking about you every week. And if it's their birthday, she sends them a birthday card. This is old school people. Paper. Like, have you seen that before? It's paper. And she writes them a birthday card. And when it comes to graduate first grade, she writes them a special note thanking them for being with her for that year and sending them off well to second grade. You would never pick Miss Jane out of a lineup. But let me tell you what, she is serving the Lord out of the abundance and overflow of her love for God. Several years ago, I did a, a mission trip to Houston. It was my, one of my first mission trips to lead. I was in my mid-20s. And there was all these parents that were helping me out. And I was just overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed with everything that needed to be done. We were doing a VBS, all sorts of stuff. And I remember sitting one night with one of the dads that was there helping out and, uh, and he's telling, and I just go, man, I'm just so thankful that everyone's reaching in and helping. And he goes, let me tell you about my wife, Linda. He's like, whenever, whenever any, there's a need, he says, ministry is like a wall. And in that wall, there's always holes come, and water spills through. And it's like Linda just reaches up to the hole and covers. I'll cover that. I'll cover that. I'll cover that. She'll never step on stage, but she'll make everything you're doing better. And I said, that, that's what Jesus is talking about. I'm not chasing the spotlight for me. 
I'm seeking to serve the God who has so loved me. I'm living my life in front of an audience of one. And every now and then, some spotlight will get shifted to some great Christian leader or some great person doing the said thing. And a wise Christian friend of mine said this. What happens is, is God at times will turn the spotlight on that person and then he'll turn it away somewhere else. And the key is to be faithful when the spotlight is never on you and you wait for God's final reward. And that's exactly true of every man or woman used greatly by God. And that's true of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a poem written about Jesus Christ. It's called The Incomparable Christ. It says this. More than 19 years ago, there was a man, 1900 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty, was reared in obscurity, he did not travel extensively. Only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he lived. That was during his exile of childhood. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. His relatives were inconspicuous. He had neither training nor formal education. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked on the waves, a pavement, a hush, a hushed, um, this, he hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his service. He, he never wrote a book, and perhaps all the libraries of the world could not hold the books that were written about him. He never wrote a song. And yet he has furnished the theme of more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together couldn't boast of having as many students. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun, and yet no leader ever had more volunteers who have under his orders made more rebels stack arms and surrender without a, sh a shot fired. He never practiced psychiatry, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. Once a week, multitudes congregate and worship and assemble to pay homage to respect to him. The names of the past, proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of past scientists, philosophers, theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man multiplies more and more. Though time over these past 1,900 years between the people of this generation and the mockers of his crucifixion, he still lives. His enemies could not destroy him and the grave could not hold him. Amen? He stands forth among the highest pinnacle in heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adorned by saints, and feared by devils as the risen personal Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen? A man born in obscurity rose in prominence, not because he was seeking the fame, but because God himself said, this is my son. Listen to him. See, God shines the spotlight on men and women who are wholly his. And in his timing, he rewards them. And it may be this side of heaven or it may be the other side of heaven. But God says, look, will you be faithful? Will you be faithful and live before an audience of one? So let me ask you two questions in closing. In a closing quote. 
Am I living before an audience of one? To, di- to diagnose yourself, I would ask these two questions. Would I serve in this position because God called me even if I would never be recognized? Will I serve in this position because God called me even if I've never recognized? Secondly, would I give because I'm looking to help even if I've never thanked? See, God's people are fully dedicated to him. The spotlight is on Jesus Christ. And our lives are lived before an audience of one. In the book, The Call by Oz Guinness, there's a chapter titled, The Audience of One. At the end of the chapter, he says this, I live before the audience of one. Before others, I have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, and nothing to lose. And pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are king and not us. Thank you that you are Lord and not us. And Jesus, there are so many desires in our heart to chase our own fame or our own significance and and not yours alone. I pray that you would free us from that burden. That you would make us men and women who, who chase the audience of the only king, the only being that matters, and that's yours, Jesus Christ. And that we would live humbly in our lives. And every good work that we do would simply spotlight you. I lift up each person here. Help us to know you more deeply, Jesus, and serve you more fully. Amen.